0: This simple chalice flame, symbol of our worldwide, progressive, religious faith, is both an ancient and a relatively modern symbol. In the Second World War, it was the symbol used by the Unitarian Services Committee, working with refugees who were trying to escape from war-torn Europe it brought a message of welcome and support to all people, whoever they were, wherever they had come from and whatever their faith. And this morning, it's shining out a welcome to all of you gathered here at Essex Church, where Kensington Unitarians are holding our annual Remembrance Sunday service. So may this living flame burn brightly today and may it Commemorate all those people whose lives have been taken or blighted by warfare the world over, not least of whom are the civilians. So as well as those who fight and are wounded or killed in wars, let us remember the old, the young, the women, the animals all those caught up in warfare not as participants but as shocked and frightened bystanders. May this our flame burn brightly today as we remember and reflect. Now as as Unitarians we, we do not have one message to proclaim on a day like this. Some people here today are pacifists and view war as a crime against our very humanity Some of us may consider war a sometimes terrible necessity but our lives, just like the lives of all other human beings, will have been touched by war in different ways because war is an uncomfortable reality for all of us. Our experiences have varied widely but we share a concern for what human beings can do when we view the world from only one perspective. And our first hymn today, A Song of Peace, sung to Sibelius's tune Finlandia from his Karelia Suite, Sibelius whose music is credited with inspiring the movement for Finnish independence. It's number um, 226 in this green hymn book, and its words always move me as as they reminders of that which transcends nationhood to hear um, a reading in a moment from a pacifist but I thought it just needed a little bit of introduction Um, you're you're perhaps aware that every September an exhibition is held here in London at the Excel Centre it's called the Defence Systems and Equipment (laughs) International Um, and Every year people take part in non-violent direct action against this arms fair, usually by sitting down in the road or by chaining themselves to the doors. And their aim is to keep bringing the arms trade to all of our attention, to remind us all that our country makes a lot of money by selling weapons to regimes that then use them to attack other countries or to kill people in their own countries if they happen to disagree with the prevailing power. So Harold is going to read us a news article from the Metro newspaper this week. It's written by Simon Hill. Simon is currently campaigns manager for the Peace Pledge Union, and he is committed to pacifism, and I really appreciate him for living his values and for getting arrested this year and many previous years protesting outside the arms trade exhibition held here in London.
1: For the first time this year, Remembrance Sunday in the UK will include civilian victims of conflict. Until this year, the Royal British Legion insisted that their red poppies represent remembrance only for British and Allied armed forces. The Peace Pledge Union's white poppies, on the other hand, symbolise remembrance for all victims of war. They also represent a commitment to peace. But things changed in October. The British Legion altered their website to say that they acknowledge innocent civilians who have lost their lives in conflict and acts of terrorism. This is a significant change. According to a populist poll published on Wednesday, 86% of UK adults agree that civilian victims of war should be part of remembrance. The legion's change is a step in the right direction, but there's a lot more we need to do if we are really to recognise the realities of war. The same poll revealed that almost as many people, 83%, agree with remembering victims of war of all nationalities. 85% say that Remembrance Sunday should primarily have a message of peace. Last year, the Peace Pledge Union sold more white poppies than in any year since white poppies were founded in 1933. Now this poll shows the majority of people agreeing with the messages behind white poppies, even if they don't all wear white poppies themselves. Remembrance has always been controversial. How could it not be? Who we remember? why we remember, how we remember. These things are about what matters to us today. When I'm teaching history to adults, I see how their views of the present and the past affect each other. If you think that rights such as free speech and free healthcare have been won by millions of people struggling for them over centuries, you're going to take a different approach to protest protest movements today than if you assume these rights just came about naturally or were graciously handed down to us by the rich and powerful. People who insist that only UK military should be remembered are implying that civilian lives are worth less than military lives and non-British lives less than British ones. These are not the values of a healthy, compassionate society. The alternative is to remember UK military alongside other victims of war, including civilians killed in London, Hiroshima, Liverpool, Dresden, Baghdad, Belfast and countless other places. On Remembrance Sunday, I will think of my great-grandfather who fought at the Somme. If he'd been born in Berlin instead of Birmingham, he would have fought on the other side. Everybody knows this. So why would an accident of birth stop me from remembering people like him who happened to be born on the other side of a line of a map? We can choose narrow, nationalistic forms of remembrance if we want to be a narrow-minded society obsessed with its own identity. This only makes war more likely. Or we can stop and look at the realities of war in the face and recognise that suffering does not end at borders, nor should our attempts to prevent it. These more open and honest forms of remembrance are vital if we are ever to live out the message that was associated with the first remembrance ceremonies after World War I. Never again.
0: Thank you, Harold. And that leads us into a time of prayer now. This is the start of Interfaith Week here in Britain. So this is a prayer for Interfaith Week. So let's ready ourselves for a time of reflection and prayer. as I call on the spirit of love and the spirit of life to be with us now and to bless all that we say and do together here this day. As we in Britain mark the start of Interfaith Week, let us dedicate ourselves this day to the shared tasks of our society, making connections between different groups, healing divisions working harmoniously to resolve issues born of poverty ignorance injustice as Unitarians we can celebrate all that connects our world faiths those fundamental shared values that unite all people of goodwill And we can celebrate the distinctive features of each faith and be enriched by their unique qualities. And we can work tirelessly and with respectful curiosity to increase opportunities for dialogue and to deepen understanding. So in a moment of stillness now, I invite you, if you wish, to think of groups or individuals who you find difficult to understand and accept. Even those arm traders, perhaps. Can we do more to remain open-hearted towards those different from us. And I invite you now to take a moment to think of individuals or groups for whom you are concerned, be they people close to you or people whose lives you hear of in the news. Is there some action, however small, that we could take this day to ease some suffering? And if not, can we remain an open-hearted and loving witness to the struggles of others? On this Remembrance Sunday, as we honour all those affected by warfare, may we both as individuals and as a community commit ourselves to the task of living our lives for the peace and well-being of our society, our wider global community and the planet that is our home. May our lives truly express our values this day and all days. Amen. Um, Apologies, because I meant to give you the words for this responsive reading, but i failed to put it on the little sheet. But the line, um, the... I invite you to say, if you wish, in response, is we lift up our hearts. And that can have so many different meanings for people, but it's from a very early Christian liturgy. It's rich in meaning. And and for me, it means we lift up our hearts, that some matters on this earth are too great for me to understand or even begin to resolve And there's some comfort, I think, in life sometimes, in lifting up some aspect of life to a power greater than our own. It's a gesture of honouring. It's a collective act. It values hope and progress in the face of human foolishness and folly. So I wonder what meaning you will find in these words. For all who die in war, we lift up our hearts. For all who live in suffering in the aftermath of violence, we lift up our hearts. For all who give their lives in smoke and flame, we lift up our hearts. For all who go on in honor of the dead, we lift up our hearts. For all who have served, we lift up our hearts. For our country and our world, we lift up our hearts. For a planet that could find peace, we lift up our hearts. For the young and the innocent, we lift up our hearts. For the weary, And the war torn, we lift up our hearts. For those too angry or too fearful to cry, we lift up our hearts. We lift up our hearts. Shanti, shalom, peace, salaam. Amen. Thank you. I oh. Lao Tzu wrote, if there is to be peace in the world, there must be peace in the nations. If there is to be peace in the nations, there must be peace in the cities. If there is to be peace in the cities, there must be peace between neighbours. If there is to be peace between neighbours, there must be peace in the home. If there is to be peace in the home there must be peace in the heart. So as we settle ourselves now for a time of shared silent meditation which will end in a few minutes with a chime from our bell let's get as comfy as we can be in these chairs perhaps straighten a position if that works for you enjoy the feeling of feet resting upon this wooden floor with the Foundation structures of our building resting deep into the earth beneath us. We can soften our gaze or close our eyes. Allowing our breath's gentle rhythm to help turn our attention inwards. And in these few shared minutes of silence, I invite you, if you wish, to consider Lao Tzu's words. If there is to be peace in the world... There must be peace in the heart. Can we find within ourselves a position of peace, even when we are having to relate with all that we find difficult or disturbing? Let's focus upon an inner peace, with the strength to remain peaceful whatever occurs. If there is to be peace in the world, Let there be peace in the heart. I've been um, reading poetry this week, um, especially poetry dealing with issues of war and peace, and I've particularly used two modern anthologies.
2: Um,
0: A copy of this anthology, Staying Alive, is um, in the library downstairs here at Essex Church. They are such interesting and varied anthologies, really thoughtful collections of world poetry. Now the, the quote on the front of today's order of service is from Charles Simic, an American poet born in Serbia. He wrote, of course poetry is irrelevant to the real world of power and politics, but, but so is Philosophy, painting, music, and any other human activity where something genuine can be found. Simic's reminding us that it is through the arts that we humans try to make sense of our world. We try to understand things better, try to understand ourselves better, try to see other points of view. War so often appears senseless, doesn't it? If we step back far enough from those issues we are passionate about. Senseless but but also complex. And it is the complexity of war that can make speaking about it so very difficult. Yet the arts have a way, I think, of expressing the inexpressible through Photography, paintings, sketches, some of them made on the very front line of those battlefields. And music and poetry, as we're hearing today. Poetry, Wordsworth reminds us, is the spontaneous overflowing of powerful feelings. I do believe it can sometimes express the inexpressible but, but rather than return to um, poems written specifically about war today, I've, I've chosen poems that approach it from another angle, from the angle of a love of life and a love of our world. The editor of this particular um, anthology, Neil Astley, um, explains that the poem we're going to I'm going to read now, which is on this pink hymn sheet. This poem, Earth Dweller, by William Stafford, it was apparently chosen for another and a quite unusual purpose. The poet W.S. Merwin was asked by the bookseller who supplied books, of all things, to the U.S. Navy bases in Puget Sound. And that bookseller asked suggested nominating poems that might make the individuals responsible for triggering a nuclear attack think twice before pressing that button. And one of Merwin's choices was this poem, Earth Dweller. It's a love poem for life. And if we all loved life enough, if we valued every life enough, if we valued our planet enough, Could we still go to war with another? Earth-Dweller, it was all the clods that once become precious, and it was the barn and the shed and the windmill, my hands, the crack Arlie made in the axe handle. Oh, let me stay here humbly forgotten to rejoice in it all. Let the sun casually rise and set. If I have not found the right place, teach me. For somewhere inside the clods are vaulted mansions, lines through the barn sing for the saints forever. The shed and windmill rear so glorious the sun shudders. The sun shudders like a gong. Now I know why people worship, carry around magic emblems, Wake up talking dreams they teach to their children. The world speaks. The world speaks everything to us. It is our only friend. It, remind me, it reminded me of William Blake's words, to see a world in a grain of sand and a heaven in a wildflower. Hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. I heard somebody on the radio this week talk about the two-minute silence we traditionally keep to mark Armistice Day, the end of hostilities on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. And the speaker suggested that the first minute honoured all those who had died, a looking back at the wrongs of the past, and that the second minute was a looking forward and a recommitting ourselves to the path of peace. And that image reminded me of a poem by Denise Levitoff, which I haven't put on the sheet for you. I won't read all of it. It's a poem in which she intertwines the making of peace with the writing of poetry. This is Making Peace, or from Making Peace, by Denise Levitoff. A voice from the dark called out, the poets must give us imagination of peace to oust the intense, familiar imagination of disaster. Peace, not only the absence of war, but peace like a poem. It's not there ahead of itself. It can't be imagined before it is made. It can't be known except in the words of its making. And Levitov goes on to remind us of our part in the making of peace. A line of peace, she writes, might appear if we restructured the sentence our lives are making, revoked its reaffirmation of profit and power, questioned our needs, allowed long pauses. Well, I think poetry and all the arts can help us take some very necessary long pauses in life from time to time, can help us reflect on this remarkable and troubled world in which we live, can remind us to appreciate life and honour life, and in Polish poet Adam Zagiewski's words, try to praise this mutilated world For it is the only world we have, and all lives surely contain some truly beautiful moments. Amen. We have heard that ancient call, to be a people united in love, in peace, in understanding. To be a people of vision, seeing a world where peace and justice rule where all are welcomed and celebrated, where love governs. We have heard this vision and now we go forth to make it our reality. Amen. Amen.
3: stand at my grave and weep, I am not there.